You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. Condemnation swept over him, self-doubt, humiliation, shame, embarrassment. John had heard him deny the Lord. Jesus had looked at him in his third denial. But while Satan was pummeling the future preacher of Pentecost, the intercession of Jesus was holding him up. And we know that Jesus restored him at the seashore. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. You sure you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you really love me? Yes, I love you. Go feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. I'll restore you, Peter. In today's message, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that you need to allow the purifying love of Jesus to cleanse the depths of your soul. In a world burdened by regrets and past mistakes, embracing God's grace brings restoration beyond your imagination. Get ready to discover the liberating power of releasing what you despise about yourself and stepping into a future bathed in God's glory. You'll never be able to do enough on your own. Leave your past mistakes at the feet of Jesus and be set free. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Romans chapter 15 as he continues his message, Intercessory Prayer. When you plug into the Holy Ghost, He empowers you. And then he says, through the love of the Spirit, that I will be delivered from the lion's den of unbelievers in Judea. Now notice how he says the best prayers are prayed. Pray through the power Jesus gives you and through the love of the Spirit, through the love of the Spirit. When you love the person you're praying for, there is no more powerful prayer. It adds grease to the skids. So the best prayers are Spirit-empowered and motivated by the Spirit's love towards those you're praying for. Amen? One writer puts it this way. Intercession is a way of loving others. Intercession is a way of loving others. When we move from petition to intercession, we're shifting our center of gravity from our own needs to the needs and concerns of others. It's not about us and our needs being met and Lord bless me and mine and rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub and now I lay me down to sleep and it's me, 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 I, I, I. No, when you move into intercessory prayer, it's about them, 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 them those, them, him, her. Now, Paul was approaching a great battle here when he asked for prayer. He was returning to Judea where he knew that unbelieving Jews that were in Judea where he'd already been had it in for him. So in the book of Acts, he's so aware of it, he tells the Ephesian elders, he says, I only know that in every city in Judea, The Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. And he went on to say, but I don't count my life as dear to myself. I'm willing to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, in my humble opinion, was the greatest Christian that ever lived. I've met a lot of great Christians, but nobody could touch Paul. He said, I'm willing to die. He had such courage, such love, such passion for Christ. He blows me away. He gets a bad rap in our generation, but so does everything else good. And it happened just like the Spirit has shown him. Once he arrived, Jewish men who hated him began to spread lies and slander and falsehoods about him. And the Bible says so much that all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut and they were seeking to kill him, literally to beat him to death. But while all this was happening, folks, remember what he said to the Romans. He said, now pray for me. Pray strenuously for me. Hold me up in your prayers. Cover me in prayer. I mean, get down and fervently with your heart pray for me 
that I will be delivered from what I know is going to be wicked men who are going to try to hurt me or kill me. So all the while that they're attacking him, the intercessory prayers that were covering him brought deliverance and protection because Paul says, I was delivered from the mouth of the lion. He was delivered. He was delivered. Why? I mean, they had him. They were beating him. They had him down on the ground. We read about it in Acts. How was he delivered? He was delivered because the invisible intercessory prayers of people standing in the gap between God and Paul were praying for him and lifting him up. And God sent his invisible angels. Hey, I don't care if they're invisible or visible. I just want to know they're there. Amen? And the Bible says he was delivered. He was delivered. He was delivered. He was delivered by intercession. We need to understand that when we intercede for people, it releases forces from God, power from God, angels from God, protection from God that surrounds them like a shield, and they don't even know it most of the time. I want you to see today in this message the power of intercessory prayer. When we lift up others, the power of it, the power of it. The devil's biggest lie is, here you are praying for this person, and haven't you noticed that they're getting worse as you pray? Have you ever done that? Have you ever noticed when you really zoom in on people in prayer, they sometimes get even worse? And the devil says, look at that. You're praying and they're getting worse. You know why they're getting worse? Because the devil's getting uptight. The devil is attacking them harder than ever because he knows that prayer is going up for them. It doesn't matter what it looks like. We walk by faith and not by sight. Listen to me. Sight will lie to you, but faith will never lie to you. We walk by faith and not by sight. Faith will tell you the truth and sight will lie to you. We see that intercessory prayer brought protection to Paul. And we see that when you look at the kingdom of God, just the whole kingdom of God, it is an interceding kingdom. It's full of intercession. It's marked by and characterized by intercession, standing in the gap for someone else. We're told the Spirit of God makes intercession for every born-again believer, the Spirit of God. It might shock you to know that this week the Holy Spirit prayed for you and you didn't even know it. Let me read it to you. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes, who's the he? The Holy Ghost, capital H. He makes what, everybody? Intercession. For who? The saints. According to what? The will of God. The Holy Spirit is an interceding spirit. If an interceding spirit is living inside of you and me, then that must mean he wants us to enter into intercession with him. Amen? I mean, he's living inside of us, and he's an interceding spirit. So doesn't it make sense? Doesn't it stand to reason that if he's an interceding spirit, always searching your deepest needs and praying for you according to the will of God, then he wants us to be intercessors that enter into intercession with him for others because he knows what they need. He knows what you need. Have you ever been in prayer and all of a sudden somebody comes on your heart? And you start to feel moved to pray for them, and it just comes out of the blue. Happened to me last night. I was in prayer, and two people came onto my mind, onto the the radar of my spirit. And I began to hold them up, and I knew that I was not to continue in prayer for you until I finished praying for them. And I prayed for them. Stood in the gap, and I prayed for them. And I know he heard me. I know he did. So everybody say, the Spirit of God 
is an interceding spirit. And the Bible says that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ makes unceasing intercession for his children. So Jesus is also an intercessor. It says, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also, what everyone, makes intercession for who? Us. So we've got the Holy Ghost praying for us. We've got Jesus praying for us. And you tell me we're on the losing team? No, we're on the win-win team. If you've got the Holy Ghost praying for you, and you've got Jesus praying for you, the devil doesn't stand a chance. Amen? Come on, give the Lord a hand. So I want you to stop and think sometime this week, maybe tomorrow morning when you get up, stop and think, the Holy Ghost is praying for me, and he's praying for me for things that I don't even know about, groanings that can't be uttered, the Bible says. And Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and his focus is not on other planets. His focus is not on flinging other stars into space. His focus is on you, his bride, his children, and he knows what you need. And he's praying for you, interceding for you, standing in the gap for you. Amen. You know, like I said, we tend to view intercessors as sort of the elite squad of prayers and the top shelf. And they're a little tiny minority in any church. You know, you got a church of a thousand people and there's like five intercessors. And we look at them and go, ooh, they're really deep intercessors. But you know, the Bible calls all Christians to intercede. Listen to what Paul told Timothy. He said, therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, that's asking for mercy, prayers, that's petitions, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for how many men? All men. And who's he telling this to? Who's he writing this to? Timothy, who was a pastor. He's saying, tell your people, I want everybody to be involved in intercession for all people. Anybody God puts on your heart, pray for them. Stand in the gap for them. Do battle for them. War for them. Speak the word over them. Claim them for God. Pray that God does what no human could do. Oh, the devil doesn't want you to hear this today. That I know for sure. The devil is real good about the person or people that you're praying for showing you how really far away from God they are and convincing you that it's useless to pray for them. But my Bible tells me what is impossible with men is possible with God. My Bible tells me that all things are possible to him who believes. My Bible tells me the greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. My Bible tells me that Satan is a defeated foe and he's a liar. How do you know the devil's lying if he's talking? And if he tells you, if he tells you, you give up praying for them. It's no good. You're praying for them. And look at that. They're getting worse. No, no, no. You do not go by what you see. You go by what the word of God says to you. We walk by faith. We walk by the eye of faith that sees things that are not there yet, but will be. You don't know what God's doing in the invisible world as you pray. You have no idea what that person or people are thinking about or experiencing in their heart of hearts. You have no idea. That's why Jesus said that men ought always to pray and don't give up, don't faint, don't put up the white flag, don't surrender, don't walk away, but stay with it. Amen, Pastor Jeff. That's good preaching. Amen. I'm going to look at two examples of intercession in the Bible very quickly. One from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. Let me show you a great picture of intercession. First, one of the greatest examples of intercession in the Old Testament is Abraham. 
What an intercessor he was. The Bible says that one day Abraham and Sarah are just enjoying the day. They're there at the tent, and all of a sudden three men walk up. Abraham immediately discerns these are not normal men. These are supernatural beings. This is what the Bible says. And Abraham immediately discerns who they are, discerns where they're from, and runs and tells Sarah to prepare something to eat. And I want you to notice angels sat down and ate with them. That's why the Bible says, be careful how you treat strangers, for you might be dealing with an angel unaware. That doesn't mean pick up people when they're hitchhiking. Use wisdom. But I'm just saying, sometimes angels are walking around and you don't know it. That's what the Bible says. These were angels. And after it was all over, and they had spent some time with Abraham and Sarah, and had some words with them, it says these three men, now we know two of them were angels, and one of them was a Christophany. A Christophany means Jesus visited the earth before the Immaculate Conception. It's called a Christophany. The rock that followed them in the wilderness was Christ. That's a Christophany. Here in the story of Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah, we've got a Christophany because the third one is called the Lord. And they say to Abraham, we have come down. We have come down to see if what we have heard about Sodom and Gomorrah is true. And they called it a great outcry. An outcry had reached heaven. We don't know who it came from. We don't know if it came from human beings or we don't know if it came from angels. But an outcry, think about that. The wickedness was so great that it caused an outcry that reached heaven. You think there's some outcries going to heaven now over America and this horrible ungodly, incomprehensible abortion law that will take a child's life after it's been born? You reckon there's an outcry going to heaven over some things like that? An outcry reached heaven. And so these three supernatural beings were dispatched by God to go into Sodom and see if what they had been told was true. He said, I will go down now and see whether they have done according to the outcry against it that has come to me. Now, I want you to notice what happens next. They have told Abraham this, and I want you to look at his response. The Bible says that when he heard this, Abraham stood before the Lord, and Abraham came near. Remember what I said? Here's the need. Here's God. The intercessor gets in the middle, stands in the gap. And here's God headed towards Sodom, and Abraham, with courageous faith, stands right in front of him. It says, hang on, let me talk to you. Let me pray. Will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? He appeals to the holiness and the righteousness of the character of God. And God says, no, and Abraham begins to deal. I had to say deal with him. He begins to pray. He starts with, if there's 50 righteous, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? And God said, if there's 50, I won't destroy the whole city. If there's 50 righteous, I'll spare the entire city. That's why it's important that you and I walk with God and stay salty. Because if there were just 50 righteous, that whole city would have been spared. Abraham goes from 50 to 40 to 30 to 20. He ends up with 10. If there's 10 righteous, Lord. Now, all the while, Abraham's remembering, remembering my nephew Lot and his family are in that city. So he's going down further and further. If there's 10, if there's just 10, will you spare it for 10? And God said, I'll spare it for 10. Now, that's intercession, folks. He's standing in the gap. He's standing in the gap between God and a city that is in trouble. He's standing in the gap. 
He's standing in the gap between God and some righteous people that are in trouble because judgment's about to fall. And I find it very interesting that as judgment was moments away, the angels saw that Lot and his wife were tarrying, were lingering, and having a hard time letting go. And they grabbed them by the arm and led them out. And they said this. I want you to catch this. They said, I cannot do anything until you're out of here. Whoa. I can't do anything until you're out of here. There's some things that are never going to come on this earth till the church is out of here. Amen? Never going to happen until the church is out of here. When God takes the church out in the rapture, some things are going to come on this world that can't come until the church is out of here. But in Lot's case, why couldn't they do anything till Lot was delivered? Because of Abraham's intercession. Do you see what's happening here? Lot would have been toast. He would have been a marshmallow. If Abraham had not interceded, the whole message here is because a man of God stood in the gap and prayed and interceded, God couldn't do anything until the object of Abraham's prayer was delivered and removed. And as soon as Lot and his wife and his two daughters were out of the city, the fire fell. Everybody say intercession, sends protection and God's power onto someone we're praying for. Somebody's deliverance is waiting on the other side of your intercession. Amen. Now, let's go to the New Testament. New Testament, we see that Jesus interceded for Simon Peter. I want to look at it a little bit more strongly today. Jesus interceded for Simon Peter. Luke records that right after Jesus inaugurated the first Lord's Supper, and there had been a little spat between the disciples about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God and all of that, suddenly Jesus wheels around and looks Simon Peter right in the eye. And he says to him, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Sifting is a strong word. Sifting, in Bible times, they would have a big pile of wheat with the chaff on it. And what they would do is they'd take a pitchfork and shove it into that pile of wheat and hurl it up into the air so that the wind would blow the chaff off that wheat. Bottom line is to be sifted by the devil was to be thrown up and thrown around and experience great tribulation, just like the wheat going up, having the shaft blown right off. He said, Simon, the devil's asked for you. And we remember that he did the same thing with Job. He went into the presence of God in Job's day and said, have you considered Job? God said, of course, he's my guy. Now I'm paraphrasing. He's my guy. And Satan said, you take away from him what you've given him and he'll curse you to your face. And he challenged God to let Job be tested. Same thing has happened here with Peter. Peter didn't know it. Please keep that in mind. Here's a picture of the Holy Ghost praying for us over things that we don't even know we need yet because Peter didn't know what was coming down. The disciples didn't know what was about to go down, but Jesus knew. Jesus knew, and Jesus knows what you're about to go through or what you're going through. He knows what tomorrow brings before tomorrow arrives. And he's waiting in your tomorrow and preparing your tomorrow and guarding your tomorrow and protecting your tomorrow and watching over your tomorrow so that when tomorrow arrives, Jesus got there ahead of you and he's got the devil's number in your life. Peter was about to undergo a trial 
where the devil would throw him up in the air and the winds of adversity would blow him around. Jesus was made aware of this satanic assignment on Peter, and look what he did next. It says, Peter, I have prayed for you, interceded. Peter, I know what's coming down, and I'm standing in the gap. Here's the Father, and here's Peter. Jesus stood in the gap, and he said, Lord, I know what the devil is going to try to do. He tells us what the devil is going to try to do. I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. That tells us that Jesus knew Satan was coming after Peter's faith. He wanted Peter's faith to fail. He wanted Peter to give up and walk away and give it all up and go back to fishing. He wanted Peter to give up the race. He wanted Peter back in his old life. He wanted him to lose faith. But Jesus said, I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. I've prayed for you. And when you have returned to me, Peter, I'm praying that you're a strength to the brethren. Perfect picture of intercession. Jesus literally stood in the gap between God and Simon Peter and prayed that his faith would survive the attack and that he would emerge from his trial stronger than before. Amen. Now notice, and do you think that he's any different now? It says Jesus is the same yesterday. And he's the same today, and he'll be the same forever. So if he stood in the gap for Peter right before a great trial, don't you know he stands in the gap for you? And he prays your faith will not fail. He prays that you don't walk away. He prays that you don't lose hope and give up. He prays that you don't throw in the towel. He prays that no matter what comes against you, your faith remains intact. And when you come out on the other side, you're stronger than ever. Peter, of course, being Peter, thought this was absurd. Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. But Jesus knew him better than he knew himself. And he said, Peter, the rooster's not even going to crow this day. Today, Peter, before you deny me three times that you even know me. And within a few short hours, the one who said, I'll never deny you, denied him three times. And right then the rooster crowed just as Jesus said. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. His faith spiraled into crisis mode. We know that it did. Condemnation swept over him, self-doubt, humiliation, shame, embarrassment. John had heard him deny the Lord. Jesus had looked at him in his third denial. But while Satan was pummeling the future preacher of Pentecost, the intercession of Jesus was holding him up. And we know that Jesus restored him at the seashore do you love me? Yes, I love you. You sure you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you really love me? Yes, I love you. Go feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. I restore you, Peter. And he got back into the game. And it was that Simon Peter that stood up on the day of Pentecost. And 3,000 people were saved by the preaching of a man risen from the ashes of defeat. Amen. Amen. Abraham's intercession saved Lot from destruction. Jesus' intercession kept Peter's faith from shipwrecking. Likewise, your intercession over that loved one is more powerful than you know. My dad told me something I never knew. After I'd been saved for years and was trying to get him to come to the Lord, when I began to talk to him about Christianity, he said, you know, Jeff, your grandma, his mother, always had her Bible with her. I said, say what, 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 what? I didn't think there was any faith on either side of my family because I was raised in a secular home. Evolution and this, that, and the other. 
He said, oh yeah, your grandmother. If you saw her, you saw her Bible. You know that your intercession is a lifeline that reaches beyond human comprehension. In your prayer life, you must relinquish control and place faith in the boundless power of God's grace. Remain steadfast in praying for the lost, trusting that His redemptive love can penetrate any darkness. Today, from Pastor Jeff, we learn the significance of praying for the lost no matter the resistance. God's grace has the potency to penetrate even the hardest of hearts. I'll hand it over to Diane, who will let you know more about Hardwired. For more teachings and information about this ministry, we encourage you to check out hardwired.org. Pastor Jeff Wickwire has many more messages there. You'll find them under the audio tab. This will surely help you be encouraged in the Word. Once again, that's hardwired.org. We want to invite you to come back again next time for another teaching from Pastor Jeff. Daniel has more on that, giving you something to look forward to. Does God's empowerment reveal miracles? With faith as your guide, do you engage in prayer, allowing God to orchestrate wonders? In Pastor Jeff's next message, he shows you that the Bible is a blueprint for effective prayer. Within its pages lie timeless wisdom and guidance that empower your conversations with God. As you align your petitions with His Word, tap into a divine framework that ignites transformative power. Align your heart with God's purpose. Thanks for taking time to be with us today as we studied God's Word. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Jeff, visit hardwired.org. On behalf of Pastor Jeff and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again right here on Hardwired.